So we are in week four of this series called Flipped Tonight, and this is it. This is the last week, um, and so as, as Ben said earlier, next week we're starting a series called Amplify. I want to just say, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the school year somewhat. If you don't know this, we only have four more oasises left this year. Um, we end in April, and so we don't, May seems kind of crazy for all of you, but particularly you seniors, and so we take May off, and then summer, June, and July are kind of hit and miss, depending on when our mission trip falls and that kind of thing. So it's tonight and four more. We just have the month of April left. Um, the last Wednesday in April is our last oasis of the school year. It's April 30th. It's also senior night, which means we honor the seniors and we celebrate the seniors. does not mean it's only for the seniors. So don't think that and uh, don't show up that night or something. Um, so we'll start Amplify next week. I, I bring that up, though, again, to say some of you seniors... You're going to college. You'll be in college in August or maybe September. Um, but this Amplify series, we, it's somewhat on like doubt and how doubt mixes with belief. And I just want to say, some of you are going to be at K-State next year, at Lincoln, at UNO, um, Peru State, right? Someone, Allie, is that Peru? All over the place. And you may get, I heard about, I don't know much about this new movie, God's Not Dead, or something like that, but maybe you've, there's this movie coming out, that perhaps you end up first freshman year in college, you're in a science class, and I think this is a true story, you get an assignment from an atheist professor who says, I want you to write a paper uh, explaining how God is dead, or, or why God doesn't exist. And, um, and you say, well, hey, I'm a Christian, and you're immediately mocked in front of the whole class, or ridiculed, maybe you wouldn't say that, um, you just kind of keep your quiet. You might have do an assignment like that at some point, and you might come across some really, really smart people who are professors who kind of have their own agenda, and, um, and maybe you kind of go, well, maybe that was just my parents' thing, and they taught it to me, and, and did they kind of force it down my throat? So hopefully you've wrestled with over these last four years, seniors, whether you own this faith or not, or maybe you're still forced to come here. I hope that's not the case, but some of you maybe are. Anyway, so I hope this series is practical, even if you're a freshman or sophomore, but certainly as some of you go off to college. All right, enough of that. So tonight in this flip series, each week, if you're just joining us in this series, each week we're looking at a different individual, a different character, true stories from the Bible, who in the four Gospels, individuals who had radical encounters with Jesus. And all four of these guys, remember this first week, Zacchaeus, second week, Ben taught Roman centurion, and then last week, Brian taught um, the, the woman with the 12-year bleeding kind of mixed with um, Jairus and uh, his daughter that was sick. But all these individuals, and um, we're looking at the fourth one tonight, um, encounters so radical, so kind of crazy, that when they encountered Jesus, their life was totally flipped around, totally changed. I want to start by asking this question. I want you to ask yourself this right now in your head, very simply, what do you want most? in life. Will you think about that real quick? What do you want most in life? What matters most in life? That may even be two different answers to you, but hopefully they somewhat coincide. To you, what matters most in life? And then I want you to ask yourself, like, why? Why is that so for you? Why do you think that's true? Why did you come up with that answer? What do you want? You guys, I'll never forget this. A few years ago, I wasn't leading Oasis yet, and, um, 
Ed Noble was the fall retreat speaker. Jeff Dart was leading Oasis, and I was leading Tribe, and I heard, I saw, um, you know, Ed is kind of a crazy random speaker, and if you were at the fall retreat this last year, you might have been like, I didn't follow that guy so well. But he's also brilliant, and he just has a lot of knowledge. That year, he was doing this Q&A thing, like we still did this last year, and um, every year after the fall retreat, I would ask Jack or Jeff. Jack, um, for a while, was helping with Oasis too, and so I said, like, Jack, give me the scoop. I mean, any, like, just awesome nuggets of truth that you heard from Ed or just stuff that God's kind of like sharing with him. And somebody just asked a question. I think it was a guy, I, I assume it was anonymous, said, I'm, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, having, having sex with my girlfriend, and I feel very, very guilty about it, and I want to stop, and I don't know how or something. It was something along those lines. And Ed's answer, this so like kind of boggled my mind. His answer was just this. He said, what do you want? Like, what do you, what are you after? What do you want? And it, I don't know what the guy was looking for. And obviously, he's, Ed's always trying to get to kind of the deeper, the deep-seated, what's the root issue? But he just goes, what do you, like, really, what do you want? So what do you want most in life? For some of us, it's just a comfortable life. We want pleasure, maybe. We want comfort. We're tired of school just because it's hard. But we still got to work after high school, and stuff gets harder. So think through this. Tonight, we come to the last character, and uh, the heading in most of our Bibles just calls this guy um, the rich young man. Maybe you've heard of this guy. Or the rich young ruler. And in fact, his story is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who kind of flow together. John is kind of a different gospel, just lays out differently. But so I want to start tonight just by reading this account, um, kind of starting off different. So grab your Bible if you have one, and I hope you do, or maybe you have a Bible app. But grab your Bible, turn with me to Mark ten seventeen, Book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, um, chapter 10, verse 17. And I want to read 17 through 27, and if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be on the screens. Um, I, uh, this may be sort of weird for some of you, and I'm not going to do this every week, but uh, I've seen this done before, heard this done before, and I think it would be a cool thing to kind of honor the Word of God. Some churches do this every single week when the story's read. I'm just going to read through the story. I want you, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to ask everyone to stand up. And you're just standing for worship, and we would go, what? But... Um, Keep your Bible open, have it. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Look at the screens. But it's just sort of a, it's a way to honor the Word of God being read. Mark ten seventeen through 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. 
All right, you can, you can have a seat. Get comfortable again. Here we have this man. You maybe hear that story. Perhaps many of you have heard that story before. If you haven't, there's little bits in here that you just go, wow, that's shocking. What Jesus asked of this man, even just the fact that he asks that question, that's a great question, this young guy comes and asks him. I don't really know why he, how we know he's young, but maybe that comes out in the, the Matthew or the Luke passage. I haven't studied those too much. But we know this man is pretty well off. He's, he's very well off. What we find, though, is that this man apparently not only has quite a bit of money, which we know at the end of the story, he also appears to be morally upright, or you could say, like, religiously upright. Um, so in the text, when Jesus lists off some of the Ten Commandments, and the man says, I've kept all of these since I was a boy, I think I used to doubt that. I, I would say, you guys, let's assume that this guy's being truthful, being honest. Maybe, not, maybe he wasn't perfect, but I want to assume that he's saying um, he's really like a morally upright guy. He, he really has, for the most part. Um, this is the kind of guy who has a lot going for him. He's an upstanding citizen. If you're a girl in here, this is the kind of guy whom your moms would love for you to date. Um, again, even today, girls, if you meet a guy, or I don't know, you're in college, maybe later, a couple years, you meet a guy, but he like comes from money, you know, he comes from a wealthy family, and he's going to be an engineer, or an architect, or a doctor, or a lawyer. You know he's going to make a lot of money, but on top of that, he's a Christian? Man, I mean, you're like, this guy's, this guy's awesome. This guy's a keeper, right? Or at least, even maybe you're like, eh, maybe he's not a Christian, but he's, he's got good morals. He, he knows right and wrong. So this is the kind of guy that that is, and it seems like he has his life very much together, right? Obviously, there's something different about this guy, but he seems pretty put together. Now, here's what's different about this guy. With all three of the other characters that we looked at in this series, all three of them, that by the end of the story, all three were like rejoicing, right, that they had had this encounter with Jesus. I mean, all three, Jesus said something like, your faith has saved, your faith has healed you, or I said literally means your faith has, has saved you. Um, Zacchaeus he says salvation has come to this house. Almost all of them um, believe that Jesus could really do, like, he was somebody incredible. Um, they could he, he could heal them. Zacchaeus is like, man, after meeting you, he just was going to give away half of his possessions. All three respond in faith, and Jesus makes it totally clear, like, you're in. I mean, if there's an in and an out, if there's people who are saved and who aren't, to these other three, Zacchaeus, the Roman centurion, woman with the 12 years of bleeding, you're in, you're, you're fine, your faith has healed you. But not this guy, right? This guy walks away sad. At the end of the story, he's not even with Jesus. His life is absolutely flipped upside down. But not, not in a good sense, right? Not for the better. And I don't think Jesus was trying to send him away or was desiring to send him away or was desiring to kind of put him off. I think Jesus was trying to get at what this man really, truly was putting his trust in. And you probably see that. And so this man went away sad, or some of the older translations say he went away grieving. But did you notice this? Even um, the disciples are like mildly freaked out about this, right? I mean, this is the kind of story, you guys, that should make some of us nervous. That when I read this, I go... Ugh, because the, the disciples actually, at the end of the story, go, Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. Like if this guy, who has it all together and is morally upright, if he's out, then who in the world can be in? And in that culture, and certainly today, there's kind of this like unwritten rule that if you have money, 
that you must be good, that you've done, if you've done well, it's because you do good. And if you do good, it's because at some point you've, you've done well. If this guy's out, who in the world is in? And they maybe think, as some of us do, like, do we have to sell everything we own and give it to the poor? So maybe stories like this freak us out a little bit. And, um, and Jesus throws us a curveball a lot at different stories in the Bible. But I love that we're ending on this note and that this story is pretty radically different from the other three characters. Um, so let's take a look. I want to dive in and kind of go slowly through this and see what we need to do to learn from this so that we perhaps don't fall into the same boat. That some of us perhaps tonight think the same way this young man did. And we have something. And at the end, maybe at the end of our life, maybe when we encounter God, we walk away grieving. Or I think it might be much worse than that. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, Verse 17. I'm just going to kind of walk slowly through this. Verse 17. The man approaches Jesus and he falls at his knees, but he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a, a great question, right? But I love this, that Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. Um, it almost appears like Jesus is just getting nitpicky. When I first read this a couple times, and certainly when I was younger, it almost just seems like Jesus is kind of getting like really strict about how you talk. Like, you don't approach me and say, good teacher. Don't you know, like, no one's good but God alone? It almost seems like he's getting nit- nitpicky. But I don't think that's it. I think Jesus, I think he's actually kind of trying to answer the man's question to some degree. The man says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, um, like, why do you call me good? You know, all the other three people, eventually Zacchaeus calls him Lord. Um, the blind man, we kind of looked at that first week. The woman with the 12-year bleeding. Even the Roman centurion basically knew what Jesus could do. They just said, will you heal the Roman centurion? Will you heal my servant? And Jesus, I have so much faith that you can heal my daughter or my servant, that you don't even have to go there. I know that you're so, you're so powerful and you're obviously the son of God or something that you can just say the words and he can be healed. This guy comes, doesn't necessarily call him Lord, doesn't, necess- doesn't say you're the son of God, just says good teacher, and he says, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? This is kind of about me. And I think Jesus says, no, 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 no. Why do you call me? I almost feel like he's trying to get at like, what do you mean by this? Who do you think that I am? And so I think even for us, it all comes down to this question for each of us. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Who do you say he is? He says, why do you call me good? And here's the other thing I notice: When he says, no one is good except God alone, I kind of go, um, isn't Jesus God? Well, yeah. So why did Jesus say that? Um, again, it's almost like and at first reading we go, it seems like he's telling the man that he shouldn't have called him good teacher. But I go, yeah, but Jesus and God are one and the same, right? Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's triune God. This is the God of Christianity. We all know this, or maybe we don't. Three persons, one God. And so I go, but Jesus is God. And so he is a good teacher. But again, I think Jesus is trying to get at, you're so focused on what you need to do. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? This is really all about me, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no who do you think I am? Do you know who I am? And so the ultimate question for all of us really is, who do you think Jesus is? And we can't see, we can't be indifferent about Jesus. You can come here week after week and you could love, hopefully you love and adore adore Jesus. Or I think there's people who just go, this guy was a crazy lunatic and I can't, I can't follow him. But what you can't do, and I think you could tell your friends that you cannot, I don't think, 
be indifferent about Christianity. To say, oh, it's, it's just kind of boring. It's, Christianity is laughable. Christianity is irrelevant. I, don't th- I think to say that, if you say that, you haven't encountered the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus just blows you. I mean, it just it doesn't allow for that. Either you would love him and fall at his feet, or you would go, oh, you're kind of a lunatic. But there's no middle ground. There shouldn't be any middle ground. And if there is, we haven't encountered the real Jesus. When it comes to eternal life, Jesus says the question is, who do you think that I am? Eternal life is not a matter of doing stuff, although I'll get to that a little more. So here's my rhyme, and maybe write this down if you write nothing else down. I know, this is, at least it rhymes. When it comes to eternal life, the issue is not do, but who. I don't think that's on the screens. But when it comes to eternal life, you can write that down. When it comes to eternal life, the issue is not do, but who. The issue is not do, but who. So who do we think he is? I think he's saying, like, you're so close, but why are you calling me good? Do you believe that I'm the son of God? Or do you really believe that I'm just a good teacher? It's almost like he was trying to be vague about, you know, who he really was, and he wanted to test this guy, but he doesn't go there. And so maybe there was a pause after verse 18, but Jesus goes there with him. Like, all right, you think that's the way in? You think you can do more to inherit eternal life? So he starts listing off commandments. So verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And it says Jesus looked at him, he loved this guy. And I think that literally almost means he like looked into his soul. He loved him, he saw him He saw what he said, and he goes, you lack one thing. Now, I don't know why Jesus lists off these six of the Ten Commandments. Jesus lists off six, the final six of the Ten Commandments. And uh, he smashes, though, kind of in the rest of the story, he smashes two two of this guy's religious assumptions. And these are assumptions that maybe some of us in here have, certainly many people in our in our country have. Um, and we believe these all the time. But Jesus blows apart these guy, this guy's religious views. So two things, two assumptions about religion are this. And number one is, is this, that Christianity is just something you can add to your life. And secondly, that Christianity is just something you can do. And I touched on that a little, but I'm going to go deeper. So first, something you can just add to your life. As Christianity is just something you can add to your life. Like we tend to think it's just one, one more helpful thing that I can do, that my life's already pretty good. This guy says, oh, all these like horizontal things. Time out. Have you like, you know this, right? We, we talked about the Ten Commandments. The second half, the, the ones that Jesus listed here, almost all have to do with like horizontal relationships. You know, don't lie, don't uh, commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. The first four, though, are very much uh, vertical relationships between you and God. So Jesus goes with kind of the social ones, and he goes, I'm awesome at that. I am loving people. Um, but he, he basically feels like this thing, what, I just need something else. I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm well off, I'm liked, but can I just add, add, um, add this to my life? And Jesus says, no, Christianity is not something you just add to your life. It'll, it completely revolutionizes your life. It blows your whole life up. Remember John 3? Jesus talks to Nicodemus, right? The most popular chapter in the New Testament, right? Nicodemus, John 3, 16, he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and basically says almost the same thing. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, 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 you can't just, this is not just some tack on thing. We're so prone to do this, especially like us students and teenagers in America. 
Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like totally like confused what's going on. But he goes, it's a whole new life. It's not just something you tack on. Um, we tend to, I feel like, uh, man, I feel like, again, teenagers, we just, it's one more thing on our to-do list. Did you go, here's my main thing. I'm a baseball player. But here's what else I do. I'm in band. I'm, I'm in DECA. I do show choir. And I go to church youth group. And that's kind of my well-rounded thing. You know what my savior is? Baseball. I'm going to get a scholarship. I'm going to play like minor league baseball. It's my savior. Oh, and I also go to church. And again, I'm not saying baseball is bad. I'm not saying deck is bad. I'm certainly not saying show choir is bad. Show choir is awesome. I don't know what else you're in. Theater. Some of you are in plays right now. You do all this acting stuff. Um, he's not saying all that's bad, but it's a tack on. And uh, Jesus basically says, no, no, no. Christianity is an entirely new identity. It'll blow your whole life up. And it doesn't mean you have to stop doing all those things, but it's not just something you add on. Secondly, the second assumption we have about, this, this guy has about um, religion or Christianity. The young man thinks Christianity is something you do. It's something you do. Now, I already touched on this a little bit, but there's more. So yeah, verse 20, Jesus lists off these six commandments, and he says, all of these, I've kept, I've done these, Jesus. I've done these. I've checked that box. I've checked all of them. What what else? Is there something I lack? Um, obviously, I've talked about this plenty. The issue is not that doing things that obeying and that being good is wrong. Obviously, those things are not wrong. Remember back to the first week of Zacchaeus? I, get, I handed out that card and we put those two principles on the screen. That both of them, religion and the gospel, are utterly different. But both of them include obedience. But this guy probably thinks um, he's, he's trying to earn his salvation. He's trying to earn his way to God. And so the question is, are you obeying because you trust Jesus as the master of your life? Or are you obeying to try to earn a good standing before God? So the whole question is not, um, so Jesus kind of puts him off. I mean, he sends him packing, right? And he doesn't chase after this guy. He's doing a lot of good stuff. Well, is being good bad? Are you saying, Brad, that I shouldn't, you know, do all, No. But why are you doing it? What is your motivation? And for some of us, that is huge. You can be sitting in church week after week, two people right next to each other, and they they're, have two utterly different motivations. One person is obeying because they, they know they're accepted by God and loved by God, and the other person goes, I really hope I make it. And man, this church attendance thing, oh, this is going to get me there. This is part of it. It's the karma deal, and my, my good is going to outweigh my bad because I'm going to try to work my way to heaven. Jesus makes it very clear that human goodness alone is not adequate to bring you to God and to, to give you eternal life. So the fundamental question is, you guys, and I, I feel like I narc on this all the time. Can I say narc? I don't know if that applies. Who are you trusting in? That's the question. Who are you trusting in? Or what's your greatest treasure in life? Do you have this established? Is this rock solid for you? What do you want the most? And here's the thing. We profess the right answer. But sometimes I think you guys profess it, profession and our actual beliefs aren't lining up. That we profess what's right. But I tell you what, if you've never realized this, you can say that lying is wrong and bad and evil all day long. But the moment you go home and lie to your parents, in that moment you believe that it's quite right. You totally do. You think pornography is wrong and evil and bad. But when you, when you indulge in that, and again, you know, some of you are like, girls, maybe you're like, well, you always talk about this. When you do that, maybe, no, I think you believe it's quite right. In that moment, you go, no, I really like this. 
Is that my treasure? Well, I would never say that. No, that's the wrong answer. Yeah, but, but deep down, what do you crave? What do you want? And so Jesus gives this man an incredible task, right? An outrageous request. One that makes all of us kind of go, seriously? Sell everything? Even Zacchaeus didn't have to sell everything. I mean, he just gave away half of his possessions. He says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And here's why, right? And you all know this. Because to this young man, his money was his treasure. All of his, his wealth was where his trust was. It was where his heart was. Now, time out real quick. We know from context, too. Nowhere else, this is totally put in context. It says nowhere else in the Bible that to be a Christian, you need to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He's getting at this man's heart idol. So if you encounter someone someday that says that Christianity teaches that, um, this is in context of a story of a guy who this was, when you deal with someone like this, like dealing with an alcoholic or a gambler, so Jesus gives a very, very drastic um, response to him. He says, you've got to want me the most. You've got to, Jesus says, I want to be what you want the most. So this man goes away grieving, and Jesus doesn't chase him down. But here's the thing. Jesus, you guys, he always gets personal with us. He always gets personal. He always knows what's at the root. I was thinking about this today, uh, just typing some of this stuff out, that most people, I think, don't love church because Jesus and the words of Jesus and the words of the Bible always confront our deepest, darkest idols. And we secretly love our idols. And we love our secret sin a lot of times. Or we just don't want to feel like, uh, we don't want to feel guilt-ridden. And that's fine, and Christianity shouldn't make you feel guilt-ridden. But I think some of us, we, the reason people don't love church is because they don't want to be confronted on these things. And Jesus usually does that. Jesus gives him the first six commandments. But what does this guy have? The very first commandment. What's the very first commandment? Have no other gods before me. And he goes, your money is your God. So what do you love most in this world? What do you want? What really matters? Here, I mean, if you haven't written this down, this is so simple. But Jesus wants to be what you want. Jesus wants to be what you want. He wants to be what you want the most. And you know that, and that's not rocket science, but man, he wants you to run to him. And man, he will fulfill you more than the other stuff will. Because all those other things, again, I'm not saying some of them, their hobbies, they're great. But eventually, you'll get old and you can't play baseball anymore. Or maybe your voice will run out. Or, or you love partying or you love that pleasure or that thing and it's very quickly gone, right? It just doesn't last. So Jesus wants to be what we want. And above all else, Part of making Jesus number one is pursuing him, is going after relationships. The two things to apply this along those lines. How do we pursue him? Well, the first one is essentially that. So number one, here's two things. Start spending more time with him. And again, that's a no-brainer. But if you decided today that you seriously wanted to learn how to play the drums, or you seriously wanted to learn how to play guitar, and you go, that would be awesome. You have this vision of what your life would be like if you could play guitar. And maybe be in a band or sit up here on the stage or something. If you decided to do that, though, you would be deciding that you would want to add some work and some discipline and some self-control into your life. But you would count the cost, right? And you would maybe go, that's worth it. Um, you'd have this, again, you'd have this picture in your head of what that would be like. It's the same way with God. If you want to be closer to God, if you want to pursue God, you need to make a decision to add some discipline to your life, to add some self-control 
I hope that you have a vision of what your life could be like if you, if you beat this, this sin issue, this, this bad habit. If you really wanted to pursue holiness. Now, I hope um, practice takes discipline. That's kind of the point here. It takes discipline. So make a decision. Don't slip into earning. Don't ever slip into an earning mindset. But grace is never opposed to effort, you guys. Grace is radically opposed to earning. But grace is not opposed to effort. Do you realize that every single thing you do is you doing something? You sitting there right there is you doing nothing, right? But you're still doing something. You're breathing. Time is progressing forward. The most disciplined people are probably dis- you say people say I'm not I'm just not disciplined at all. Yet you're really really disciplined at doing nothing, at sitting and watching TV and eating chips and playing video games. And some people go the, the people who say they're the least disciplined are really disciplined at really lazy stuff probably. And I'm not I'm lazy sometimes. I'll be honest, but everybody everything is a discipline. Why everything every single thing you do puts forth some kind of of effort. But don't slip into earning. So don't screw that up, or don't get those mixed up. And the end result of that will be incredible. And then secondly, real quick, spend time with people who pursue God. Spend time with people who pursue God. Now, I hope, that may just mean you guys keep coming to Oasis. Maybe you are in your school, you go to Millard South, and there's all kinds of people at Millard South. You're in a school of 3,000 people, but you don't know a single one of them in your grade who's a Christian. Or you do, but they, were, uh, they did something to you two years ago and now you're not friends anymore so you're all alone. Or you go to Miller North or you go to Westside or I don't know. You go to Omaha North. I mean, you're all alone. So maybe you need this every week but still, your potential to grow towards God increases dramatically when you surround yourself with people who are solid Christians who will help you, who will help keep you accountable, who know your deepest, darkest sins Maybe you can't even confess that to your whole group, but you confess that to one friend or one person. So maybe, maybe you just commit to, I'm not going to miss Oasis, I'm not going to miss church for the rest of the school year. You commit to 20 minutes a day reading the Bible, or you start small and you commit to 10 minutes a day. So as you head to groups tonight, you guys think about this. You don't have to walk away grieving like this rich young ruler. And man, that's a great question, and I hope you've asked that question before, but I hope you're not caught up And a lot of really, really good stuff, but your motivation has been wrong the whole time and you don't really want Jesus, that something else has you. Something else is your greatest treasure, your greatest affection, your greatest want. And you think you're a Christian maybe even, but maybe you're not. And I don't mean to make you doubt your salvation, but I I say that to some of us because we maybe have been like the the rich young ruler. Jesus wants to be what you want. So the question is, do you want him? Let's pray. Father, help us to apply this. God, week after week, somebody stands up here. And God, as these students sit and listen, they go, one more talk, one more sermon, blah, blah, blah. And I hear it all day long at school from teachers. And I hear it every Sunday at church. God, some of us maybe just get tired of hearing stuff. Maybe we get tired of hearing stuff from the Bible. Yeah, God, I pray that it would transform our life. I pray that it would flip our life. I pray that we would actually apply the stuff that we, we know we needed to, to believe and decide to do. God, I pray that we would wrestle with what are things that we have just professed to believe and what are things that we actually believe? What are our actions proving that we believe? So God, may we wrestle with those things tonight. And God, may you be what we want 
the most. And God, may that make us be awesome baseball players and awesome show choir students and dance students and and actors and um, everything else, God. May we excel at all this other stuff because we have a hope that's real and that's alive and that changes everything. And I pray that we would share that with others as well. So God, lead us, lead us in this. Be our guide, be our teacher. We love you and we need you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.